Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A lot has happened since we last spoke. We sort of expected it to, and it kind of played out exactly the way we thought that it would. Georgia has added another pair of very impressive commits to what has been quite a streak for the dogs as of late. Let me give you, as they used to say on the HBO Boxing Show, the official particulars here. And then after that, we'll kind of talk about what all of this means. Let me start with Friday evening. I told you on the show Friday morning that if Georgia got good news and recruiting on Friday evening, I would not be available to pop on video to talk to you about it. Uh, we sort of had a thought this might be coming, and indeed it worked out exactly that way. Let me show you what to like about not Daniels right now first of all he comes down south from the Garden State so not only do you credit uh, 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 Stacey Searles the Georgia offensive line coach here but you also credit Fran Brown who's done great work up in the Northeast for Georgia since becoming Georgia's cornerbacks coach but helping out anytime Georgia wants to go into New Jersey Nyer Daniels committing to the program let's show you uh, what Daniels brings to the table how about 6 8 360 pounds that is a giant of a man, of course. He's also the number one, number 164 player in the country, according to the 24-7 Sports Composites. You're talking about a very big player, but also a major add in terms of his overall recruiting ranking. This is what Georgia went into New Jersey and brought home uh, there on Friday evening. But not to be outdone, shortly after that on Saturday, Georgia was going out and winning another recruiting battle for another four-star offensive lineman. Let's talk about Marquez Easily, who also joined up with this 2024 class. And once again, we'll give you the tail of the tape on Easily. And once again, it's incredibly impressive. How about 6'6", 330 pounds, also a four-star offensive tackle. So over the course of the last, well, you will go back since last Friday, that's what, a total of nine days. Over the course of the last nine days, Georgia has added four four-star offensive linemen. Started with Michael Uini last Friday, continuing with Daniel Calhoun, number 15 player in the state of Georgia, then Nyer Daniels and Marquez Easley there on Saturday. An unbelievable stretch. And in the story that Jeff Sintel wrote about Marquez Easley, I thought that Jeff said a sentence, and Jeff, listen, I'm kind of a pro wrestling, you know, uh, carnival barker, state fair type guy. I'm one of these guys like there's no time on any given day what I might say. Uh, you know, I'm sure if you go back and list all the archives over the years, I've said some doozies over the years that, you know, maybe I might be forced to reconsider. That's just sort of what you do when you speak into a microphone for a living, I guess. Jeff, though, is a scribe. He is a writer. He chooses his words far more carefully than maybe I do on a day-to-day basis. But even Jeff kind of got caught up in the hyperbole after the success that Georgia has had with the four commits that I just mentioned. In in the story that Jeff wrote when Marquez easily committed to Georgia, uh, one of the statements that Jeff made, I, I think, properly sums up in very succinct fashion exactly what this is all about for Georgia here right now let me read you this uh, sentence here from Jeff he says this recruiting pace the one that includes Uini then Calhoun then Daniels then Easley this recruiting pace that the dogs are on right now Jeff says is quote unheard of in Georgia football history how about that from Jefferson Tell and Dog Nation? Well said, properly described, because what Georgia is doing right now is knocking them down, putting trophies on the wall over and over again. In fact, I want to do a little research here, and which is always a dangerous thing for me. 
But I want to do a little research here to sort of properly contextualize exactly what Jeff might have meant by a statement like an unheard of pace for UGA recruiting. And what I discovered is I just mentioned to you four four-star offensive linemen who've joined this program since last Friday, just slightly more than one week. Do you know there was only one team in the entire SEC a year ago that signed four four-star offensive linemen? It was Alabama. Not even Georgia had four four-star offensive linemen a year ago. And yet Georgia just added four over the course of basically a one-week span. That's what Jeff Sintel means when he says, hey, you know, Georgia is on an unheard-of pace. They are literally recruiting a level of offensive line talent basically unmatched in the SEC, and they're doing it over the course of a span of a few days. Now, this is also one of those things where the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. A lot of these offensive line, line of scrimmage type recruits, these are long-range recruitment. These are battles that are won over the course of years, and a lot of what we've just seen the last week or so is just sort of the harvest of the uh, heavy planting and working that George has been doing over this. But, But still, we all got this official public news over the span of about seven days, and it's a level of riches that other SEC programs aren't able to match over the course of a full year. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say this. Even though individually, Uini and Calhoun and Nair Daniels and Marquez Easley, even though individually they aren't nearly as famous as a guy like Dylan Riola, the number one overall recruit, the five-star quarterback, even though individually none of those quarterbacks kind of compare from a fame standpoint to what Riola is, Riola kind of cuts through the clutter and becomes this recruiting story that mainstream fans who aren't quite as obsessed as many of us are, some would say people who are less crazy than some of us are, but you can, I guess, be your own judge on some of that one way or another. But the point is, is that Dylan Riola is famous to everybody. The four names that I just mentioned individually aren't nearly as famous, but when you combine them collectively, y'all, I believe the run that George has been on since last Friday is just as impressive, if not more impressive, than the prowess that it took to get the commitment of Dylan Riola. The Riola news gets more attention, but when you repopulate your offensive line as rapidly as Georgia has over the course of these last few days, this speaks to a level of recruiting prowess that Jeff Centel, our Dog Nation Recruiting Insider, correctly says is unheard of in Georgia football uh, you know, history here. And the, the context of this is important. We know that offensive line, while it seems like Georgia's incredibly deep right now, we know this is going to be a position of need moving forward. Look at the starting offensive lineman for Georgia this season. Uh, Cedric Von Prahn Granger, he's going to be gone. Amarius Mims, he could be gone. Uh, you know, you uh, you know, you you look at uh, uh, Tate Rattledge could be gone. You look at Xavier Trust could be gone. You may lose a couple other guys. You know, from the, the the backup ranks after that. You're talking about a situation in which Georgia stands to lose four of its what five starting offensive linemen for this upcoming season. On your screen, the only guy that has eligibility obviously coming back for the 2024 season. You could lose your four other starters. You may lose more depth other than that. So therefore, you needed to rebuild behind them reload behind them maybe the more operative uh phrase and that's exactly what george is going on doing when you kind of do this kind of heavy lifting over the court of over the course of such a short span of time then i do think rightly it should be compared to bringing in a guy like dylan Rayola. this just as impressive if not more so and the other thing i really like about what georgia has done here by bringing in daniels by bringing in easily in fact when you read their stories at dognation.com there is a very striking similarity between both these guys, and I guess striking may be the operative word there. Both Daniels and Easley 
talk about how much they like the physical part of the game. They talk about you know the enjoyment of of being a part of the run blocking. That's the you know that that's the kind of uh, offensive line you know football where you really got to roll up your sleeves. You really got to win that street fight in order to be able to move bodies in that run game. And these two guys they talk about wanting to do that. They talk about embracing the contact, embracing the physicality. And there's an element in which Georgia stays Georgia with all of this because for all the flash and glamour of being the two-time national champion and all the guys that go on to get very rich in the first round of the NFL draft, ultimately football remains a physical game. It remains a game in which there are certain types of men who just embrace that part of it more so than others. And if you really want to differentiate who's likely to succeed from maybe who's just less likely to be able to it's the willingness to embrace the physical part of the game and the hard work required to put yourself in a position to win those fights when they take place you know ultimately that's going to go a long way towards determining you know who can succeed and the teams that have more of those kinds of players are just in a better position to be able to succeed and it seems like that's maybe what Georgia has brought in here when it comes to Daniels and easily it also finishes off a stretch that we were promised you won't go back you know Jeff Sintel on our show a couple of weeks ago said hey watch out for the next however many days and he rattled off those four names so guess what Georgia clean swept it. They went four for four in the case of Easley. I guess the amazing part of that is, is when he put out his top three finalists of the day, he didn't even have Georgia among the group. You know, ultimately, Georgia still wins here. So Georgia goes four for four with four very big offensive line targets. Position of need for the 2024 season with all the guys that could be leaving. Guys who seem ready to embrace the physicality that's made Georgia so special. You will pay attention to the uh, Dylan Riolas, and clearly that gets the excitement going for a lot of fans. But the nuts and bolts, the bricks and mortar for a football team is what happens on the line of scrimmage. Georgia takes that very, very seriously. And they've never been better at recruiting those type of guys than they are right now. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, we start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, we post the show to the worldfamousdognation.com. We just try to make the show as accessible as we possibly can. We certainly appreciate you being a part of it each and every day, whichever platform you choose to use. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia who make it all possible. Taking really good care of your home is one of the best decisions you can make if you are a homeowner. Doing what you can do to make it feel good on the inside, look good on the outside. And that's what pellet windows and pellet doors are all about. We say viewed to be the best. What we mean by that is you know, there are surveys. There are there are you know questions that go out to homeowners here in our market area. And year after year, Pella really is recognized as the one that is the best. The one that uh, is just going to improve the quality of your home. And when you want to resell that, the things you do to take good care of your home... That's one of the ways you can improve the value. But when you're living in your home and enjoying it, this is one of the things that makes it more enjoyable too, knowing you took every step you could take to really put, you know, the proper emphasis on the place where you got your, you know, greatest financial investment, but also the collection of your your most important memories. That's what your home's all about. And that's what Pella windows and doors are all about for you there as well. So it may be time now for you to go ahead and get a conversation going with one of those Pella experts. It's a no pressure consultation, of course, and just sort of talk through the installation options, the full product line, and if necessary, some financing options there as well, and just sort of find out what makes the Pella product 
different. You, in fact, you can go see them in their experience center there in Duluth. Put your hands on it. Feel the windows. Feel the doors. They're substantial. You, you can tell there's something different about these. And that's what Pella wants to bring to the uh, forefront for you. And great savings, too, because between now and July 31st, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months. That's what they're all about. So stop by and see them right there in Duluth or go online. PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. Or give them a call. 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Just make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I truly know that they will. Pella Window in Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window in Door of Georgia today. Coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to John Stinchcomb. And one of the things we'll obviously talk to John about is, as we said before, the impressive run that Georgia's been on with offensive line recruits over the course of the uh, last few days. When John and I last spoke, Michael Uini had kind of come into the fold. But since then, three more big ads along the offensive line. We'll talk to John about exactly what that means and kind of what John looks for when it comes to these kinds of offensive line prospects. But prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. Poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. And there is one way for this upcoming season that things seemingly are already playing out much like they would have a year ago and this for Georgia I think could be a very good thing let's go back to last November and if you want to think about a 15-0 season for Georgia which included you know SEC championship winning against LSU thrilling Ohio State win against the in the Peach Bowl uh, obviously a 65-7 to national championship win against TCU. No disrespect to anything that happened for Georgia during the postseason, including that nail-biter, nail knockdown, drag out against Ohio State. The most significant moment of the year for Georgia may have actually happened in November. The thing that Georgia fans may call back upon as much as anything else may be the game against Tennessee. Because of the atmosphere at Sanford Stadium, the fact that Georgia fans stepped up and created the environment that really helped Georgia get that win on that particular Saturday. But the other context for that win against Tennessee, Tennessee, after all, was the CFP number one team coming into Athens that day. The additional context that Georgia-Tennessee game was all the hype that Tennessee was getting and some of the criticism that that Georgia was getting. And I think it's important to go back and relive this because that's what made the atmosphere in the stadium so intense. I believe that's one of the things that gave Georgia on the field such an edge. It certainly made Georgia fans nasty that day. You talk about you know wanting to fight, not physically fight, but create the kind of you know fight in the stadium that that helped propel Georgia to victory. You better believe that Georgia fans were fueled up to do that uh, way back in November. And some of this was all of the bad things being said about Georgia, all of the doubts that seemingly existed about Georgia during that time. You can't understand what made the Tennessee win so sweet without appreciating the fact that there were a lot of people who just thought Georgia, for whatever reason, was ready to flop, was ready to fall flat on its face, and that somehow the 2021 season, I guess it had been a fluke, and all those draft picks that Georgia had to replace, this was going to be the moment when you realized that those guys just weren't there anymore. In fact, a lot of you remember one of the things that ESPN had said about Georgia, or I guess there was a story about the game, and they quoted an anonymous coach. It always seems like there's anonymous coaches you know, using cowardice and you know anonymity 
to uh, take jabs at Georgia. It seems like Georgia suffers from a lot of that from time to time for whatever reason. You, I guess you can try to figure that out yourself. Uh, but anonymous coach, quoted by ESPN, really just ripping into Georgia and, and, and really just acting like Georgia just had no chance against Tennessee there that day. Let me read you the quote because I think the context here is important for where we are about to go on all of this. This is what anonymous coach told ESPN about Georgia prior to playing Tennessee last year. Uh, the quote was, I won't be surprised if Tennessee scores 50 points, a coach said. Georgia's front is average. Their back end is below average. They really miss William Poole, which is, I guess I'll just leave that alone. I don't think their corners are special. Keely Ringo, he doesn't really run really as well as you'd expect. The others are just okay. They're going to run right by those corners that they in this particular case being the Tennessee Vols and you remember how this was that quotes like that were fueling the narrative and Tennessee fans were strutting their way into Athens as if they were just going to dominate Georgia because you know a lot of these Tennessee fans will believe whatever you tell them and they were told that they were going to do so so therefore you know like simps they were just kind of just believing whatever they're told and they just thought it was going to be the easiest game in the world because that's what ESPN reported to them was going to be the case. And they were just shocked. They were shocked when the game actually played out that all the stuff the anonymous coaches had been saying and all the stuff that you know random talking heads on TV had been saying, all of that turned out to be untrue. All of that turned out to be made up. It was not true at all. And Tennessee fans were shocked. But concurrent to that, while all of this sort of narrative stuff was going on and uh, people were sort of, you know, saying and believing whatever. You'll remember that the point spread, the people who put their money where their mouth is, that didn't move at all. Do you remember this? That you may have had, you know, coaches on ESPN, you know, saying that Georgia's going to give up 50 points, talking head on TV. I mean, the entire ESPN College Game Day crew pretty much were all on Tennessee, right? We all kind of remember that. And yet, no matter how many talking heads who say one thing and five minutes later, nobody really remembers it, there's no real retribution or punishment for ever getting anything wrong. Um, so talking heads were all saying one thing, but the point spread folks, the Vegas folks, the sports book folks, the people who stand to lose money if their opinion is wrong, they were all Georgia all the time. They had Georgia as a sizable favorite there in that game. And I always remember that kind of stood as a very, very sharp contrast there, that there is very little gained or lost by some sort of hot take on TV or the streaming internet or something like that. There is very little gain, very little loss by that. And so people just sort of say whatever. But the point spread, folks, the the lines makers, the odds makers, the Vegases and the online sports books, whatever else, they are forced to be more conservative about this kind of stuff. They are forced to be a little bit more cautious about this kind of stuff. And they were all Georgia. They had the dogs with about a nine-point favorite or so, and they clearly got that right. And I say all of that to say that much like that played out a year ago, something very similar is playing out right now. Because once again, the talking heads and the loudmouths and the hot take artists are sort of back doing their same thing again. And once again, it just so happens – this is taking place at the expense of George. I'll give you a brief reminder here for a couple of seconds about just how profound and prolific some of this has been so far uh, this summer, starting with Kirk Herbstreet, who the other day made a case as specious as the claim is here, but none the case made a case for Alabama winning the national championship. This is what Kirk Herbstreet said going back to what, about a month or so ago? Here's Kirk. It's hard for me not to lean towards Alabama in the SEC, just because of what you described. Now, you got LSU, 
who made incredible strides in that first year with Brian Kelly. Got a lot coming back from that team. They beat Bama last year. They got to go to Tuscaloosa. So I would, I would, those three are going to be everybody's three. As we sit here right now, I'm going to wait to see where we are in August, but I would be in that Bama LSU just a little bit ahead of Georgia um, as we get ready for, you know, getting into the summer months. No, well, Kirk actually said it was much longer than that. We just don't have time to play at all. But doesn't that kind of remind you of some of the stuff before the Georgia-Tennessee game where, you know, in Kirk Herbstreit's case, oh, my gosh, Alabama. Oh, Alabama, 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 as if this was still 20, you know, 15 or something like that. Oh, my gosh, Alabama. Well, guess what? One of Kirk's game day partners, Reese Davis, has a different team other than Georgia, who he thinks is going to win the national championship. You know this already. But for context, here's a reminder of Reese Davis making the case for Michigan being the number one team. Once again, not Georgia, but a different team. It's Michigan. This is what Reese Davis said about that. Michigan has a proven quarterback that I think is going to improve greatly this year. They've got the best cornerback in America in Will Johnson. They've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage, including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost. They've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years, particularly on the lines of scrimmage. They've got their running backs coming back, a couple of uh, wide receivers that might even be bigger threats, uh, transfer tight end from Indiana, I believe. They, I think if I had to fill out the ballot right now based on what I know, you know, what I, the type of production I know I'm going to get, I think I'd put Michigan number one. So two of the most prominent voices in all of college football and TV, fixtures on college game day for a very long time, Kirk Herbstreet all in on Bama, Reese Davis all in on Michigan. And it reminds you a little bit of some of the way in which seemingly Georgia had been completely had its back turned on by every media type part of the game against Tennessee. But what's interesting is, while all of the talking heads and the media types and the hot take artists and whatever else, while everyone is shopping seemingly for a team other than Georgia win this year's national championship, once again, the people who put their money where their mouth is, the people who stand to have their wallets lightened if they are wrong, they are not doing any of this whatsoever. They are essentially looking at all the talking head stuff, the talking season nonsense. They are looking at it with laughter because uh, I'll show you this on the screen here from one of our friends at On3 had this from BetMGM. With all the talk about someone other than Georgia winning the national championship, Georgia is still the, I would say, overwhelming favor to win this year's national championship. They are plus 220. That's essentially just more than 2-1 to one for the national title. Bama, Kirk Herbstreet's favorite, they're only 6-1. to one. Uh, Reese Davis touts Michigan. They're just nine to one. Ohio State. They're seven to one. LSU's twelve to one. USC fourteen to one. Clemson's eighteen to one. Uh, Florida State eighteen to one there as well. Texas, who I've talked a little bit about, they're twenty-two, uh, twenty-two to one. If you want a uh, Penn State, you can get them at twenty-five to one. Maybe not terrible value down at the bottom end of all of that. But but, but the point here is is that this is just like a year ago. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think you probably already take great comfort from this. People can say what they want to say. Words are truly very cheap. However, point spreads and betting lines oftentimes are not cheap. If you uh, talk a big game there and make a bet uh, that, that, that doesn't work out, there is big money loss. And if you're an odds maker, a sports book, and you set a bad line, then you stand to lose a ton of money on that there as well. So in the space in which opinions have to have a monetary and a dollar figure attached to them, 
that's still all Georgia, kind of like it was a year ago prior to the Tennessee game throughout the college football playoff and everything else. So Georgia fans, I think you probably already do take some comfort from this, and this is a reason why you should. The Reese Davises and the Kirk Herbstreets and the whoever else, they can say what they want. The odds makers speak with a much louder voice because their opinions come attached to dollar figures, and they're still just as high on Georgia as they ever were. And that is Around the Doghouse. And it's poured today by Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. Now listen, y'all know how much I love, at least many of you do anyway, how much I love Dr. Pepper. I've been Dr. Pepper obsessed for since I was a child. I just love it. And I am so excited about the brand new offering from Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. And there's also a Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar there too, because like the one thing that Dr. Pepper is famous for, their Zero Sugar offerings are just as good and just as tasty as the other kind. That's something that's been true for Dr. Pepper for a long time. That's also true for Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream there as well. So anytime there's a brand new permanent flavor offering from our friends at Dr. Pepper, that is a really big deal. And y'all, Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream is a really big deal, too. So you can find it at Kroger. You can find it wherever you're doing your shopping. Uh, and you can pick some up. You can try it. You talk about fun, to, you know, hang out. You know, you're having a good time. That Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream is a great accompaniment to whatever you've got going on here this summer. So try some. If you love Dr. Pepper, I think you're going to like the brand new offering from Dr. Pepper, which is Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream and Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar. Make sure you check some out today. Now, before we're done on our program today, we've got a lot we're going to check out, including uh, a very, very troubling list of allegations against the Northwestern football program. This has pretty big reverberations around college football, so we'll get to some of that here coming up in just a uh, little bit. I think this is concerning. Uh, on a completely different uh, topic, we'll also talk a little bit about what's going on with Alabama recruiting. They did pick up a couple of commits here this week, uh, this weekend, but still some kind of questions kind of being asked about what's exactly going on there. And we'll so, sort of try to separate fact and fiction on that uh, coming up in just a little bit. So that ought to be a lot of fun. In light of the topic we just had, we also have a very funny golden shoe that we'll get to on today's program there too. And one pretty prominent analyst is kind of talking up something that I had sort of talked about at one time, maybe making me feel just a little bit better about one of my college football playoff picks. We'll tell you about that here coming up in just a little bit too. But for now, as we said to start our program, Georgia on an incredible hot streak when it comes to recruiting, bringing in four big-time offensive line recruits and commits over the course of the last slightly more than one week. So we'll talk about that and so much more with John Stinchcomb today, the great former Georgia All-American here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So we'll say hello to John Stinchcomb, and obviously one of the things I want to talk to John about here in a moment is that great run of recruiting that George has been on with the offensive line. The last time John and I spoke, we were talking about the first of those commits, and now there are plenty more to be added. We'll get to that here in a moment. But, John, before we get to that, I was just talking about the fact that it's amazing to me that in one respect, some of what's playing out for Georgia this offseason feels a little bit like last year during the season in which, you know, when you're the top dog in college football, no pun intended, there's always going to be a temptation to want to have your biggest, boldest opinion be about that team. If you're in the business of, you know, internet stuff or TV stuff, whatever else, those opinions just generate more interest. We kind of understand that. And yet, while last year a lot of folks were talking up teams other than Georgia, sometimes at the expense of Georgia, the overall odds never really moved 
Vegas almost always sort of view Georgia as by far and away the most likely national champion. Once again, the same thing's true this offseason there as well, where there's touting for Michigan, there's touting for uh, Alabama, there may even be some love out there for Ohio State, but the odds makers still see Georgia as the overwhelming favorite here. And John, if you're a UGA fan, I think you should probably take some comfort in that. I think it's great news and and obviously earned. I, I was listening to your piece and the national pundits out there are certainly uh, trying to make headlines and, and give hope across the board. I, I think there are other programs that are in the conversation. Obviously, you have to play the games, and you look at the game against Ohio State last year, and you have to have things break your way to, to make those sorts of runs. But you look at the schedule for Georgia this year. You look at the amount of talent that they have coming back and then have what they've done uh, continue to do in recruiting and player development and, and the additions to the transfer portal. And there's no reason to believe that Georgia is not the team to beat, continues to be the team to beat. So uh, as, as much as you can make a case for uh, representatives out of the SEC West or, um, you know, some others that should be in the conversation, Georgia remains the top of the dog, top dog in the, in the hunt. I say this all the time as a fan of Georgia, not just someone who does a Georgia show, but a fan of Georgia. I have pretty thick skin about what people might say about my favorite team. I really don't get my feelings hurt too bad. I think that's probably a, you know, a good trait to have in life. I, I don't, I don't get bothered too much by, by what people might say about UGA. However, there is one aspect of this off season that has kind of aggravated me just a little bit. I want to see if you understand where I'm coming from. I have zero problem with somebody if somebody wants to make a case for someone else winning a championship. That's just someone's right, someone's prerogative. But I don't feel like it's been fully appreciated yet. Maybe it will be. We're going to have SEC media days coming up, uh, you know, I guess what, next week. Um, but I don't think it's been properly appreciated yet just how significant the storyline is of Georgia going for a third straight national championship. This hasn't happened mm. essentially ever in college football, if you kind of think of the modern time frame. It has happened going back to the 1930s, but that's basically ancient history truly uh when it comes to college football and from that standpoint i don't think people have properly appreciated this it doesn't hurt my feelings i just think it's ignorant i think it shows a misunderstanding of of just how significant this year could be that georgia could be and their favor to put the finishing touches on a streak of dominance unlike anything else in college football and yes i know how many national championships nick saban has won in alabama but he didn't win three straight and you will go back to when we were kids, John, you know, Florida State was in the top five every single year, but they didn't win three straight national championships that, you know, you know, Nebraska, their run. You know, you want to go back and cite these great college football kind of dynasties that pop up. Georgia, I believe, would be differentiating themselves from all of them if it were to win this year. And I don't think yet that's been properly considered. Maybe it's about to be. We're only just now kind of getting into the full-fledged talking season. But up until this point in time, it seems like that history has kind of been shortchanged to me a bit. Yeah, I, I think that talk is only going to expand as we get into the season. You look at Georgia's schedule, and you have to think that's pretty favorable. And uh, you imagine that the national attention is going to grow. You, you've got a couple games that you've already circled. Obviously, Tennessee is going to be a big one. But um, as Georgia clicks off the wins and they prove all of the talk that's been going around uh, in this offseason, that it, there's some validity that they're the team to beat, 
then you start looking at the, the implications and the historical impact that a third national championship would have for any program and where they stand. I, the, the conversation of um, who's the the best coach in college football and which program. I think we already recognize that Georgia has the dominant program currently in the landscape, similar to some of the other teams of different eras. Uh, you mentioned a few, obviously Alabama being one of the more recent dominant programs, and, and now that's Georgia. So uh, the opportunity to, to set records uh, at the level that Georgia has it's pretty unique, and I think that that's going to draw even more attention as, as they get into the season. But uh, just looking back, uh, obviously college football has changed, right? I, it, heading into the season, there's maybe five teams that have a, uh, a realistic opportunity to, to win a national championship. I think that's different than years past. I think that the parity has has changed across across college football, and there are truly the haves and the have-nots, and Georgia has found a way to earn their way to the top of that heap. What does it say to you when Georgia, over the course of a nine-day span, adds four four-star mm-hmm. offensive linemen? All of these guys mm-hmm. are top recruits. Uh, and to be able to bring them all in in such a short span of time to me, that's quite a flex, and I'll compare it to bringing in a guy like Dylan Riola. As big as it is to bring in the number one overall quarterback, a quarterback is nothing without guys to block for him, and knowing what the position of need uh, offensive line might be for George on the field in 2024, to clean house like this over the course of about a week's worth of time, uh, John, I just think this is as impressive as anything that Georgia has done here. Uh, it's your position, so clearly you're, I'm sure, fired up about it. What do you, what do you make of the run that Georgia's been on here as of late? It is it is truly an impressive feat. Coach Cyril's needs to get the praise that he is receiving this week because you, you don't see this often. Uh, four four star players in one position group that should be impactful for for years to come. Uh, it's huge, and these championships the the differentiating factor. I know the game is evolving and, and wide receivers are more important than they've ever been. But if you can't, if you can't get your quarterback time enough to, to distribute the football, you're going to struggle. And the programs that cannot build and continue to grow in the trenches are going to struggle and have struggled. And when they come into the big games, that's when you see uh, the wheat separate from the chaff and Georgia this past couple of weeks has put their stamp on the fact that we're not going anywhere. And uh, the, the changing of the guard in that position group room uh, with Coach Searles taking, taking the reins, there's been no drop-off. So it's a huge win across the board for Georgia. And picking up these, these caliber players uh, just projects the continued dominance and relevance on a national scale. How important, I mean, this is obviously an overly simplistic question, but the sheer size that we're talking about here, we're talking about, you know, 6'6 six, six guys, 6'8 six, guys, 330 guys, 380, I mean, not 380, 360. You know, you're talking about like, I mean, just in like the 1% of 1%ers in terms of the overall size there. Like, how, like, what does that mean for Georgia when you're talking about a, a future offensive line that across the board is going to kind of be blocking out the sun the way that a future offensive line for Georgia might be? 
I mean, you, you got to have, you got to start with a nice piece of clay for the potter. I mean, you're looking at guys that uh, can move at those, that size. And of the few highlight films that I've seen at the, the most recent editions, um, and having seen, oh, crap, Daniel Calhoun. Is that right? That's his name, That's correct? right. That's right. Yeah, so I, I saw him firsthand, and let me tell you, the guy moves well. Okay, it's uh, it's impressive to see. So, yeah, not only the size, and especially in high school, there's a lot of matchups you can just win by overwhelming players. I think you watch breakdowns of any of the uh, players that are getting recruited by Georgia and Alabama, and and, and some of the national leaders, and they win some of those matchups in high school just because they're so much bigger but then you watch the way they move and you say ah there's the difference because a lot of you know working with high school players and, and athletes a lot of them feel like oh well i know in the nfl i know in college i've got to be 300 plus pounds and so they just put on a lot of weight and you can push around a 220 pound defensive lineman in high school but if you can't move, then that doesn't translate very well to the next level. And what distinguishes this group of, of players, the, the caliber of player that Georgia recruits and, and gets commitments from, is their ability to move at that size. And it's impressive, especially you're talking about 17, 18-year-old men that haven't had the development in time that their college counterparts have invested in uh, developing. You know, it's it's every 320 is not made the same. And to see the athleticism that's paired with that size is, is what makes these guys truly special. And I think this probably goes without saying, but I want to talk about it a little bit anyway, is that, you know, concurrent to this, you see Dylan Raiola coming into the program. George is obviously sort of chasing the kinds of wide receivers that would want to play with a quarterback like Dylan Raiola. The Georgia passing attack has upgraded itself the last couple of years. We believe that there's even better potential future there in terms of how Georgia throws the ball. But these kinds of offensive linemen, the bigger, you know, upper end size wise, you know, guys for these positions, John, this to me indicates that as Georgia continues to expand its passing attack, it's not going to be looking to do it with pace, right? You know, Georgia's not going to start playing like Tennessee plays at, at a pace like that or even some of these other teams that sort of move a little bit faster that, that Georgia wants to throw the ball. I think it wants to throw the ball well. But but you're kind of uh, committing yourself to a certain kind of pace with offensive linemen this size. Now, I think that pace has worked out very well for Georgia. But, but, but these very large offensive linemen – I think should stand as an indication that as Georgia continues to try to upgrade its passing attack with the best quarterback prospect in the country in some future season, possibly, it's still going to play at the pace that it's been comfortable. Is that a fair read in on this? Uh, well, I, maybe I don't, I don't quite see it that way. I okay. don't think we're going back to the Sam Pittman days where it's like, we're getting these behemoths that we're going to put folks in a, in a phone booth and lean on them. Um, I've worked with some guys coming out of Clemson when they played what amounted to speedball, and they were getting you know 90 snaps in a game on average when you know the rest of the college football was getting 70. So um, size can be a factor in that, but 
a, a lot of it plays the offensive line's advantage because the wear and tear it takes on the defense. Those are the guys that are trying to cover down on balls and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of the, the high repetition comes with the balls getting out pretty quickly. So that's not quite as demanding on the offensive line as, um, some might think, you know, is if you've got enough skill players there, those are the guys that are rotating through. For offensive linemen, it's almost a blessing when you have those 15-play drives. I know it's a, a drain on us, but that pass rush isn't quite the same on rep seven as it was one, two, and three. Uh, so for those bigger bodies, yes, uh, it can be a wear and tear on you, but I don't think it's an indication that um, it, it's going to impact the opportunities that Georgia would have as to how they want to attack a defense. I think you still have the flexibility to change tempo and uh, spread the ball around, pass game, run game. I don't see any of the, the players that have committed in the past couple of weeks as limiting as to what you could do offensively. That's really interesting. I'll finish with this. One of the things I mentioned to our audience before you joined us was when you look at the stories at DogNation.com on Nair Daniels and uh, Marcus Easley, who who just committed over the course of the weekend, one of the things that you see with both these guys is various quotes along the lines of they really enjoy that physical part of the game. They like the idea of getting in there and just pounding on people. And, you know, obviously, you know, John, you can't play football if you don't embrace the physicality to a certain extent, but you played the game. You know this. There are other people within the game who just sort of embrace it more than others. And the thing I always say is – is I'd rather coach some calmness into a fighter than try to coach some fight into a guy that maybe doesn't quite have that in him. You have been trained as a player. Now, as you mentioned, you train other players. How valuable is it to kind of already have some of that just sort of natural fight in you? It seems incredibly valuable for an offensive lineman, but for someone who knows the the, the position, how valuable is that? You know, you can coach technique. You can coach uh, the intricacies of the game. What it's really hard to do is change a player's identity and what they're about. And when you get guys that come in that are nasty and are finishers and love the physicality of the game, that's an approach that every coach wants. And it's really hard to to change uh, the the stripes and spots on a uh, a player that does not have that approach. And so I'm sure that's those are characteristics that that you are looking for. I'm looking for guys that when I turn on the film, they're playing to the echo of the whistle. And when they have an opportunity to drive a guy 10 yards and dump them, that's what they're going to do. And that's the mentality that I think Georgia has embraced in practice, right? I mean, you talk about uh, what you hear from players during the season, and it's Georgia competes in, in practice. They get after it as well or as hard or as demanding as any program across the country. Yeah, I'm listening to these guys with their own personal podcasts now, and um, that's the message that you hear recurrently is practices are hard. The demand is high. The off-season training is, is difficult, and you know, when you look across the college landscape, that's not always the case. There's been a change in approach, and uh, Georgia has certainly not been uh, one team to, to fall in line with that new 
mentality and approach that physicality is optional, uh, especially in practice. So when you look at these players that, that are getting signed and you're hearing what, uh, what they're about, that is lockstep and key right in line with what Georgia has, has tried to create as an identity and what they're looking for in this next crop of players john it's such a fun conversation i enjoy your insight into this kind of stuff so much obviously you played the game at a high level and i'm sure you're loving the way in which uh, georgia continues to populate these offensive lines with players who have a chance to do the very same thing great time appreciate that we'll look forward to talking to you again here on dog nation daily presented by palo window and door of georgia again very very soon always enjoy it ba good dog thank you sir Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, John kind of comes at all of this from the perspective of someone who's just sort of been there and done it. And assumptions that I might make might not be true. As I said before, you know, when I hear the size, the specs of some of these guys, um, you know, I think, well, that's going to kind of restrict you to a certain kind of pace maybe. And John says, well, actually, no. You know, based on some of the offensive linemen I've worked with, that, that might not be quite as true as you might think. I just think it's an interesting conversation, and it's just sort of fun – think about how chess pieces like this get moved around the board and a huge part of the college football job as a coach is bringing talent into your program once it's there for a lot of people that's when the fun begins all of a sudden now it's okay what do i do with all this talent how do i how how do i use it how do i develop it And, and that's the part that i think a lot of coaches really really like and that's the fun of the next couple of years here uh with this 2024 recruiting class but also the 2023 recruiting class as it kind of comes uh to full bloom here and then uh you know previous classes prior to that there as well that uh it's a constant cycle of talent and bringing them in developing them choosing how to use them on the football field that is what makes us come back to football each and every season because it is so much fun to watch and speaking of having so much fun our friends at royal crib and you know how much fun they are there as well and one of my favorite things about Royal Caribbean is is there's always a great crop of new things to talk about. That that Royal Caribbean's obviously been incredibly successful in the cruise space, but they're not content just to sit on that and rest on their laurels, I guess as the saying might go. Always looking to create new exciting things to get us talking and get us dreaming about and planning for. In fact, think about 2024, the debut of two brand new cruise ships. You've been hearing me talk a lot about Icon of the Seas. That's January of 2024. What an amazing thing that's going to be. But also keep in mind here or there as well is that the summer of 2024, that's about a year from now, July of 2024, brings on the debut of Utopia of the Seas. The latest when it comes to the Oasis class of ships, three and four night sailings going out of Port Canaveral. That's the, sort of the, what I think of my home cruise port. Uh, that's going to be an amazing thing, too. All kinds of great specialty restaurants, all of those various neighborhoods and the, kind of the fun stuff there. In fact, they're introducing some new concepts in terms of you know some of the bars and the lounges and things like that. Those kinds of exciting things always in store for Royal Caribbean in 2024 are going to be a big example of that. And also, as you're thinking about new for 2024, think about the Dog Nation cruise there as well. Because the one thing we were told is we love the Dog Nation cruise. We want to be on the Dog Nation cruise. But we want it to be bigger and better than it's ever been before. We want to invite more people. We want to just make this an unbelievable celebration and an unbelievable blowout of all the things that makes Dog Nation great. And that's what we're going to do for you. In fact, can we show this on the screen here, the details for that Dog Nation cruise? Because I want to make sure people understand these staterooms, even though we're still more than a year away, these staterooms are getting booked up fast because this year on the Dog Nation cruise, 
we're going to be on board Allure of the Sea. I told you before, Oasis-class ships, currently the largest category of ships sailing at sea. We're going to be on one of those Oasis-class ships for our Dog Nation cruise in April, April 22nd through the 26th. Uh, go to royaldogs.com. Find out about going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, NASA on the Bahamas, special Dog Nation-themed events there as well. Staterooms already filling up. In fact, we've sold so many of these already. But we want you to be there as well. So go to royaldogs.com. Find out how to be part of the Dog Nation cruise. All right, a couple of stories here cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. A lot of Georgia fans starting to ask some questions about what might be going on with Alabama from a recruiting standpoint. The Crimson Tide did get a couple of commits over the weekend, and I guess that has done very little to kind of quiet down the overall conversation about what might be happening here. Let's start with the fact that Justin, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, even though it's a player we talked about before, Okoronkwo, the uh, linebacker who hails from Germany. I saw the 24-7 sports message board. Uh, somebody had the headline, Alabama gets a commitment from the number two player in the country, dot, 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 of Germany. In the case, <laughs> that was a very funny thing. In the case of uh, Okoronkwo, uh, and listen, I think he is a good player. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong about this. But it's just a little bit of a different type of pace that Alabama is currently moving in when it comes to a recruiting standpoint. I'm not quite ready to say that Alabama is not going to have what we've come to expect, which is an elite class in them almost every year. They've really only had the one kind of drop-off year. They dropped off pretty heavily in 2018. Some people kind of saying that maybe Nick Saban wasn't quite ready for the pace of the early signing period when it first began in that 2018 cycle and had to try to play catch-up on that the following year and for the most part kind of did. But right now, Alabama just seems to be moving a little bit of an interesting recruiting pace. Now, listen, they'll also come back and say, well, you know, Bama is going to be a factor to potentially flip at least one UGA commitment, possibly, if not another. So it's not like they're completely, you know, more bound on the recruiting trail right now, but it's just a little bit different type of uh, vibe around Alabama recruiting. They also got another commit this weekend. I thought this was kind of interesting. 2026 class, which feels like kind of a long way away from now, but a 2026 offensive lineman. His name is Zyke Helton. He's the center at Carrollton now. A lot of people are going to kind of read into this of, you know, is this Alabama's attempt to get involved with Julian Lewis? Lewis, the quarterback for Carrollton, I believe this year may be the most talked about player in the entire country, uh, including Dylan Raiola. You know, the, the hype around Lewis is just going to be extreme. He had a great freshman season a year ago, got Carrollton to the state final, and he's just going to be talked about so much here this year. Is this Alabama's attempt to say, because you know Alabama's got a lot of work doing its 2024 class, the idea they're taking a 2026 commit is a little bit of a an eye-opening thing, and some folks are going to kind of wonder if this is in some way connected to the Julian Lewis uh, recruitment at all. Obviously, everybody wants to plant their flag around Lewis right now. But a couple of commits you know, for the 2026 class, kind of long-range. Okoronkwo here for the uh, short term, the 2024, is not going to do a lot right now to quiet down the questions being asked because the Alabama current ranking it's in the top 25 but it's certainly not into the top five top three or number one overall the way a lot of crimson tide fans expect to be i'll just reiterate, reiterate one more time i do not expect alabama to fall short of an elite class here this year my guess is they still put one together they'll probably do some late work to get there but it is interesting to watch the way in which the chatter around the crimson tide about what's going on with recruiting continues to build here this was quiet for a while getting a little bit louder we'll see what alabama can do about all of this as a response i uh was very happy to see i don't oftentimes care about stuff like this but i told y'all the other day i was not that happy with my college ball playoff picks i just was a little bit i don't know 
I, I, I was I was a little bit concerned about um, I, you sort of felt like you got to find four somewhere. And in my college ball playoff official selections, when I made them the other day, one of the teams that I had in my college football playoff was Texas. And, you know, from that standpoint, I was, you know, you sort of feel like you've kind of gone down a road in which people have kind of gone down before and you end up, you know, kind of being embarrassed. The whole Texas is back meme, the joke about that. People have laughed about that, made fun of that. And frankly, I didn't want to fall prey to that myself. And so I, I guess I took some comfort the other day that the fact that Greg McElroy, the ESPN analyst, was also talking about that himself. And in fact, I read a recent quote from him. He says, you know, people want to say about the idea of, you know, hype for Texas. Here we go again. Um, but McElroy goes on to say, uh, a lot of people say every, this every year. Every here, here we go again. Why don't we continue to force Texas at everybody in the preseason? He says, believe me, as a media member, I do occasionally fall victim to the Texas fatigue. Now, remember, McElroy's from Texas, so his words on this carry a little bit of extra weight. He says, they're pretty good, y'all. They are pretty good, he means this year. He says, I think when you look at their roster, assuming significant growth at the quarterback spot, which I believe you can assume, uh, the wide receiver group can stay healthy. Uh, he says, uh, which they couldn't do last year. He says, assuming all of that, they also have a pretty good running back there as well. But basically going on to say the idea that Texas could be a team very much worthy of considering for the college ball playoff. And I've said this before, you know, Quinn Ewers, um, I believe, is probably the quarterback right now. Nationally, we're talking about, you know, way too little, way too little. Are we talking about Quinn Ewers here right now? You know, Caleb Williams gets the attention because he's won the Heisman Trophy. Other quarterbacks going to get talked about for whatever reason. But the thing I keep going back to with Ewers, with all the high-profile quarterbacks in that Texas quarterback competition this spring, including Arch Manning, Malik Murphy also had a good spring too, but Ewers won the job with ease. So if you are distancing yourself that much from two pretty good quarterback prospects in their own right, to me, that tells me a lot about what Ewers might be. And after all, he had a pretty good year when he was healthy a year ago there as well. We showed you some of those odds to begin the show. Texas, somewhere in that neighborhood of, what, 22 to 1 or so to win this year's national championship. I do not believe they're going to win the national championship. But think about how those odds might change if they win week two at Alabama. That gives you an idea of where they are now and how quickly the perception of them could change if they admittedly tough task were to go on the road and beat Alabama the point is is what Greg McElroy is saying here is pretty much what we saw in the show a few weeks ago that for all the fatigue about going back down the road of Texas is back Texas is back the truth is is that picking Texas uh, to make this year's college football playoff is maybe not quite as outlandish as it seems like it would be given the fact that Quinn Ewers is a very good quarterback possibly even a Heisman Trophy winner throwing to an incredibly explosive and impressive crop of wide receivers and for a guy like Steve Sarkeesian who can say what you want to about him the one thing you know about Sarkeesian is he's capable of devising creative and effective offensive attacks he may have a chance to do that here this year I think until proven otherwise once again this season I think it's probably appropriate to take Texas pretty seriously interesting to hear that from Greg McElroy and then finally I'll give you this really really strange troubling allegations coming out of Northwestern uh, the football program, the Big Big Ten, about I guess what you'd have to describe as very extreme hazing activity. This had been a story that had been kind of floating around for a, a while, and there's some new allegations that sort of suggest this was even more intense and more troubling than originally kind of thought to be. To the point where, like Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern coach, there are like some legitimate questions being asked about if these allegations are true. There are some legitimate questions being asked about whether or not Fitzgerald will even coach again for Northwestern now. 
Some of the reporting out there is a little bit weird on this. There are some who are pointing out that, hey, you know, maybe these allegations aren't quite as – there was a thing at Football Scoop, for instance, the other day, uh, yesterday, about maybe these allegations not being quite as clear-cut as they've been sort of led to be – Led, to, we've been led to believe they are, the whistleblower here, you know, what, whatever else. You can read more about that online at Football Scoop. But if we take this at face value and if we're led to believe that, that, that large portions of these allegations are, are, are true – then it paints a really troubling picture there at Northwestern. What scares you, if you're a coach or a parent or something like that, is is that Northwestern is a Big Ten school, so to get there, uh, you have to be the kind of athlete capable of playing at the high Division I level, but Northwestern is also a very, very prestigious academic school. So to get in Northwestern, you presumably have to have you know pretty good grades too. So what you're talking about here on the Northwestern side of things is, is that athletes who are above average athletically to play you know the fbs level the the power five level above average intelligence you know to be able to be to a school like northwestern and yet still if these allegations are true still very poorly developed in terms of understanding what's right and what's wrong in other words train to be good at football train to be good at school but not that very well trained at being good at being good if you get my, my point here on this which sort of just reminds you that if these allegations are true, that is not a natural process. That that you know, character education and and, and, and teaching right from wrong is still important, even in the sort of you know, I, I guess the range of book learning and uh, and athletics and things like that. Really, really odd, scary, troubling allegations coming out of Northwestern. You hope that I guess something comes out to kind of make yourself feel better about this, but but pretty tough situation here and a Big Ten coach fighting for his job because of that. Uh, that's worth following we'll tell you what happens next in that story and for now we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and before we wrap up today and before we play the song uh uh speaking of the big 10 i want to give you a golden shoe because a lot has been made lately of michigan the fact that reese davis is you know picking this team to be his number one team in the college ball playoff and you know all, all this kind of stuff and the fact that michigan also supposedly during its practices is going to be devoting a period of practice to the Georgia Bulldogs. They're going to call it their beat Georgia period. They're going to be focused on the team that's at the top of the college ball ranks. And we've said over and over that, you know, you can laugh about Michigan for doing this. Jim Harbaugh is a little bit of a strange guy. But ultimately, some of this is just paying proper deference to Georgia, recognizing who the best really is, recognizing who is on top of the college football world. So we're actually not that mad at the Wolverines for wanting to talk about beating Georgia during practice, having aspirational goals is probably a pretty good plan for anybody in life. But there are others who are talking about just how obsessed Michigan must be with Georgia if they're mentioning Georgia in practice as frequently as apparently they are. And so in light of that, one of our uh, golden shoes submissions i'll show you this very funny about just how much uh, uh, uh michigan might be thinking about georgia during practice uh, take a look at this here real quick georgia so if you're listening podcast, this is Jim Harbaugh with visions of Kirby Smart dancing his head. It's just as, an old sweet song. As Georgia plays in the background there. Very funny from uh Joel Sidney Kelly on that, who talks about the golden era there of Georgia football. Joel Sidney Kelly, very, very talented guy, very, very funny stuff. And that is our golden shoe for today. Wanted you the chance to see that. Joel had sent that in. And with that, we'll wrap up today's program. So is Jim Harbaugh thinking too much about Kirby Smart in Georgia? Maybe, maybe not. But 
at least he's showing respect to the right team as opposed to some of these other talking heads who seem to be obsessed with everything else so it's gonna be a fun time listen uh there are some really cool storylines ahead of this upcoming season i told john stinchcomb that i believe properly it should be understood that georgia going for its go for three and 23 is the number one story of all but you know michigan trying to stay ahead of ohio state in the big 10 that's for those of us who love college football even apart from georgia that's a lot of fun you know texas or oklahoma trying to take advantage of one more year in a much weaker big 12 than the competitive environment they'll find themselves in in the sec that is also really fun too the battle between clemson florida state and the acc that might not be too bad either there's some cool stuff potentially ready to happen and seeing how it all plays out will be fascinating now what there is no mystery about is what's going to happen in the cocktail party when georgia beats florida that's 110 days from right now and that is our gator hater countdown y'all have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia